0: Thanks again, guys, for being here. Uh, if you're tuning in online, you need to know that you missed out on Coco Dolce chocolates. You should have been here, right? Uh, all the men, I get it, they're mad because uh, they didn't get any, but you didn't pump a human being out of your body either, okay? So I'm just <laughs> gonna put that out there, right? Okay, so you didn't deserve any chocolate. There you go. Uh, I do wanna say a special happy Mother's Day to my mom and my wife, two of the best and greatest women of all time. I uh, am tremendously blessed. So happy Mother's Day to each one of you. If you're a guest with us, we are in a sermon series called The Movement. We started a few weeks ago, uh, and what we're doing is we're walking through a book in your Bible called Acts, A-C-T-S, and we've been tr- very trying to be very intentional in how we read Acts. We're not just going through line by line. We tried to put some special lenses, if you will, on, on how we're reading the book of Acts. are kind of slogan for the entire series is that every uh, movement begins with a moment. Every big movement in the history of the world, it began with a certain moment. If you study this idea that movements begin with moments, what I think you'll see is that many of these huge, large-scale movements that we see and we appreciate really came down to very small, sometimes even insignificant moments. Nobody thought a kid named Joseph, when he was sold into slavery, would somehow save Egypt from a famine, but he had a moment. Nobody thought the eighth-born son, born out of adultery, a guy named David, would unite a kingdom, a king, the kingdom of Israel, but he had a moment. No, more recently, nobody really thought Rosa Parks would have Uh, any significant uh, moment in history, but she refused to give up her seat. Uh, on the back of a bus and it started this or it helped contribute to a huge movement so these past few weeks together we've looked at different moments in this book of acts to see how they've sparked movements and really the challenge before each of you will you allow your moments to be a movement for you you have two options really you can either move towards god or you can move away from god but remember the choice is always yours always your choice if you'll allow your moments sometimes very hurtful painful moments will they push you towards god or will they pull you away from god but you get to decide how your moments will shape your life this morning we're going to look at another moment so if you brought a bible i hope you did you can go ahead and grab it and turn to the book of acts if you're new to the whole bible thing that's okay there's a table of contents the beginning of your Bible. Look for ACTS. You want the big number five or take out your smartphone. That's totally cool. With me as well, pull out your Bible app, open up to Acts. While you're getting there, let me kind of frame in what we're going to talk about and what we're going to look at here in the book of Acts. And I want you to think about a question, maybe a series of questions. And that's, have you ever really thought about what motivates you to get out of bed? Like, what's the vision that compels your life? What are you living for, really? I think if you can be honest with yourself, you'll find that maybe your vision that you have isn't always lining up with how you're actually living. My goal for you this morning is to merge the two. I want you to really analyze your vision, and I want you to get a strong God vision for your life. I uh, give you an example here of a guy who had a compelling vision that i hope maybe compels you maybe not in the same way either but i don't know how many of you watch late night tv my favorite tv host by far is a guy named jimmy fallon as he was kind of ascending the heights uh, in that realm of his career uh an author in uh, rolling stone magazine wrote an article about jimmy and how he rose And i want you to hear the vision That Jimmy had for his life. He says, I remember saying to myself, if I don't make it on Saturday Night Live before I'm 25, I'm going to kill myself. He casually confesses. It's crazy. I had no other plan. I didn't have friends. I didn't have a girlfriend. I didn't have anything going on. I had my career. That was it. Pretty laser focused vision. I'm going to be on SNL or I'm going to die. That's it for me. I could have given you a number of other examples within the media world. How about the sports world? A guy named Lance Armstrong ringing a bell to anybody. I read an article this week about Lance Armstrong. He said, I would have taken drugs again if it meant winning. That's where he was at. His vision for his life, it compelled him to take drugs because winning at all costs was the vision that he had for his life. Baseball, we could talk about the same thing. You know, the Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, all these guys, Barry Bonds. They had a vision for their lives and it pushed them to do some things that they probably otherwise would not have done. So again, what's the vision that you have for your life? Maybe a more important question is, is that vision worth living for how about another guy who had a vision a guy named martin luther king jr he had a dream if you've ever watched that i would contend that's a vision worth living for lance armstrong uh barry bonds even jimmy fallon to a certain extent i i would not contend that that vision is worth living for and giving your life for something but what if i told you that there is a vision you can have for your life that's worth dying for. We're going to talk about that this morning because here's what's interesting about vision. Advertisers have all picked up on this, and that's vision will compel you to do things that you otherwise wouldn't do. We know this from some of the guys that I just talked about this, but we know this uh, in other things. So, advertisers want to compel you to buy their products and so they want to speak to the vision that you have for your life we're in the season of high school graduation so let's talk a little bit about college let me assure you colleges have a vision for your life and i promise you it's not so that you'll graduate with a degree from their university okay listen to this this is a quote from the atlantic magazine the entire multi-billion dollar 2,000 campus American college system depends overwhelmingly for its very existence on one resource, an ever-renewing supply of fee-paying undergraduates. It could never attract hundreds of thousands of them each year, many of them woefully unprepared for the experience, a staggering number, some 40% destined to never get a degree. More than 60% of them saddled with student loans that they were very well may carry with them to their deathbed. If the experience were not accurately marketed as a blast, are you seeing this? They have a vision for you. They want you to come and pay their fees. Kids arrive eager to hurl themselves upon pasta bars and climbing walls to stash into 12-person jacuzzis and lounge around the outdoor fire pits, all of which have been constructed in a blatant effort to woo them away from competitors. For the record, that was never my college experience. What the heck? Jacuzzis and fire pits. That would have been nice. Nonetheless, they swipe prepaid cards in dormitory vending machines to acquire whatever tanning wipes or earbuds or condoms or lube or energy drinks the occasion seems to require. And every moment of the experience is sweetened by the general understanding that with each kegger and rager, each lazy afternoon spent snoozing in the quad, they are actively engaged in the most significant act of self-improvement available to an American young person, college. You see what's happening there. They've got a vision for your life. Students have a vision for their life. They think life should just be all about fun and party and let's just have a blast. And so they're going to pick their colleges based on those ideas. Their vision determines the course for their life. You might not thought, have thought about it or even be willing to admit it, but your vision does control your life. And again, sometimes your vision and the the life that you're leading aren't the same thing, and so we need to figure out how to merge the two, because is your story, is your vision really worth living for? We're going to take a look at a guy in Acts whose vision was not only worth living for, but it was worth dying for. The reason we're sitting here this morning is because these men that we'll read about, and one in particular, were willing to give their life for you and me. So let's read this together. Acts chapter 5, that's a big five. You want the little number 17. It says, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. What were they filled with? Jealousy. It's important. Be careful what's in your heart. Jealousy that you might have might be compelling you to live a life that you don't want to lead. Is your story worth following? We'll analyze. Do I have jealousy in my heart? Is that what's propelling me forward? Verse 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people. All the words of this life, in my Bible, that word life is capitalized. Why is it capitalized? Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the what? The Life. Go and preach these words of Jesus, this life. That's what the angel tells these men. Verse 21, when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council. All the senate of the people of Israel sent to the prison to have these guys brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, hey, we found the prison securely locked. The guards are still standing at the door. But when we opened the door, ain't nobody inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed. I would think so. And so wondering what would come uh, about from this. And someone came to them and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are now standing in the temple teaching the people. Awesome. Some kind of Star Trek, beam me up, Scotty, right? I mean, they're here, now they're over here preaching. It's amazing. You should read your Bible, people. This is crazy stuff right here. Verse 26, then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they sat them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name, the name of life. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. You intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Amen, somebody? That's the vision that you need to have for your life. Are you obeying God rather than men? We'll come back to that in a second. I want to keep reading. Verse 30 says, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. That's, that's pretty abrasive. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. Why do we believe these things? Because these men witnessed Jesus raising from the dead. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. He said to them, Men of Israel, take care of what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, a dude named Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined with him. He was killed, all who followed him were dispersed, it came to nothing. After him Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of census, drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men, let them alone, for if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail, but if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice verse 40 and when they had called back in the apostles they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of jesus and let them go do you see the difference between uh theodas and judas this galilean those brothers died and their message died with them but this message lives on forever it's a big deal And when they uh, beat them they left the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. It's a little different than our American perspective on suffering, isn't it? They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to be beaten. Are you kidding me? Sounds absurd to us, but that's exactly my point. The vision that God has placed in your heart, it might be absurd to people. Is it worth following? Is it of God? Is it not of man? People will say, well, why don't you just give up? Is that business idea really worth following? Is that going to lead to any money? Why would you stay at home with your kids? Are you serious? Let somebody else take care of them. Go earn a living for yourself. Don't you want nice things? But God's put that vision in your heart. People aren't going to always agree with the vision that God has given you. might cause you to suffer a little bit in the midst of it but is it a god worth sent vision every day these men did what they were called to do and hear me so should you if your vision is given to you by God, then every day that you wake up, you need to hustle and pursue. And even when it doesn't make sense to anybody, you still go after it because God has placed that in your heart. And you don't listen to any of the naysayers. You know, say, this is my vision. This is the way God is leading me. I'm going to chase after this. And what I hope you're thinking is, is well, Pastor, how do I know if, if this vision that I have in my heart is actually from God and not of men? Glad you asked that. We're going to talk about that, but let's keep reading. Chapter 6, verse 1. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Hellenists are just Greeks. Okay, so we have some Greek widows living in Jerusalem. They were being neglected, they thought, by the, uh, for the sake of the Hebrews uh, or the Jewish people that were there with them. They were the locals. In other words, it's a race race issue. Not the first time race has tried to divide a church. Satan tried to attack this new found church and he's close. If he can just get them to divide right now, it could be an end to this movement that was just started. Verse 2. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, not a quiz on those names, I don't even know if I pronounced them right, okay? But here's what you need to know about them, they were all Greeks, they were Greeks, The Greeks were being neglected. They appointed Greeks to help serve. Verse 6, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. That's a big deal, because they just got done beating these brothers, right? And now they're coming to faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. That some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and of God. Why was it secret? Because he was preaching the truth, he was preaching life, and they needed to somehow. uh, Does it remind you of Jesus? right they secretly instigated against jesus very thematic here verse 12 and they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council and they set up false witnesses who said this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Why is that in there? They looked at him and saw his face as an angel. Because listen to me, when you're living and the Holy Spirit is guiding you, people are going to see you differently. Amen, somebody. On this Mother's Day, you could say, baby, your face is like the face of an angel. Okay, guys, use that. That's a good one, right? Gals, you can say, no, I, I don't need any foundation. My, girl, my face is like the face of an angel, okay? So, yeah, yeah, use that. That's okay. Bright. Now, I don't have time to read what Stephen says after this, but let me tell you, it is brilliant. He makes a great defense for the gospel. He preaches life to these men. He articulates scripture from way back, from the law and the prophets, and he goes through and he connects it back to Jesus. It's unbelievable. I want you to skip down to verse 54 of chapter 7. After Stephen preaches this amazing sermon, it says, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds crazy, like nah, 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 like they're so mad. They're great. You should do that if you're a parent. Let me know how that goes. If your kids do something to drive you crazy, grind your teeth at them, email me and tell me how that goes, or film it, do something, because I'm, I'm curious as to what that looks like. But... He, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. We'll get to hear Saul's story a little bit next week. But think about something here. We're chatting about vision. And is the vision that you have for your life, is it lining up with God's vision for your life? And what I want you to notice is the religious leaders, they had a vision for their life, did they not? It was very religious. They were living a religious story, but they were not living a Christ-centered story. And there's a huge difference. Unless Jesus is the center of your story, you'll never get a happy ending. You'll always look around at your life and be miserable. Why? Because you're not living God's best for your life. These men were so indoctrinated with law that they missed the big point of the law, which was Jesus. So what can you do? How can you know if you're operating in God's vision? How can you literally learn to wake up every morning excited about life, not hitting the snooze alarm 18 different times because you're just dreading getting out of bed? How can you learn this vision? How can you understand it? How can it compel you to wake up every day and say, to God be the glory, I'm getting after it. I'm hustling. I'm doing whatever it takes today. Four things, because this could be the moment that sparks movement in your life. Number one, the core of the Christian commitment is service. You want to learn God's vision for your life? It starts with service. It's not getting paid a ton. It's not the big house or the nice car. Not that anything is wrong with those things, but those are the if those are the only things that are motivating you in life, you're headed down the wrong path. Those are the things of the world. It's not what God has promised you. The core of the Christian commitment is service. How do you know? If the vision that you're chasing after is God's vision well for starters you're serving think about Stephen he's tasked with passing out bread to widows not a super glamorous job even though Stephen according to chapter 6 is quote full of grace and power and was doing great wonders and signs among the people now Stephen could have said guys I'm doing great signs and wonders. I don't need to be passing out bread. I've got all this capability. I'm about to preach a great sermon. But Stephen says, if this is how I can best serve God, I'll gladly do it. I'll do whatever it takes. You know what that's called? It's called character. And until your character matches your calling, your vision might be in the wrong spot. God's not going to help you discover your vision until your character matches your calling. That's good preaching right there, and you're all just sitting there looking at me, and I'm getting lonely (laughs) up here. Character matches calling. You don't need a title to serve somebody. You need character. Well, how do I know where to serve? Well, that's a question that I can help you answer. Here's how you know where you serve. You ask, is there a need? Is there a need? Well, then I can probably serve. Then you ask, is this a skill that I have? Well, then I can probably serve. Finally, you say, is this something that I'm passionate about? If you answer yes to any of those questions, then you should be serving. Because here's what I can promise you. Stephen wasn't passionate about serving bread. Saw a need. Filled it. He was asked. If you're a leader, what you can learn from this scripture you just got to ask. Ask if somebody is willing to serve. But That is the vision that God has for your life. It's one of service. Jesus said that he came to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. You too, as a follower of Jesus, you should be serving. If you want to analyze the vision that God's placed in your heart, does it include service? If the answer right now is no, then you're not following God wholeheartedly. Okay. Here's number two. Nothing is more important than the Word of God. I'm talking about vision. Nothing is more important than the Word of God. You can see the apostles said, hey, we need to devote ourselves to preaching and teaching this Word of God. So, let's get some other people to do what we're currently doing, they were currently serving the bread. They said, hey, this isn't our best. Yes, we need to do something else besides this. Let's get some people in here that can also help with this. We can do this. They can do this good thing, so we can do our best thing. It's kind of like an EMT showing up in an earthquake and saying, hey, I better start moving some rubble. No, bro, you need to start serving some people. Like That's what you're gifted to do. We can get some other people to move the rubble. Same thing is true for your life. You need to use your best skill set. If you read chapter 7, which I hope you do, when Stephen preaches his sermon, you'll see tremendous biblical knowledge. Where did that come from? It came from the apostles because they said yes to preaching and teaching. They were able to help uh, articulate the gospel for Stephen, and certainly Stephen did his part in studying Scripture on his own. You need to understand, these men had the same Old Testament that we have. They were reading and studying it in the same way that you should be studying it as well. God's Word is the most important thing. Anytime you open up the Bible, God opens up His mouth. And you need to hear from God if you want to follow this vision that He has from you. And the only place you can do that is in the Word of God. Today could be the moment that starts a movement for you, but nothing is more important than the Word of God. You need to learn how to study it and read it and get into it man, in the world that we live in, the technology that we have, the Bible app, all these things, get on a reading plan. Start a 30-day plan. Okay, I've got some 30-day plans uh, if, you, if you're interested that just take you through the life of Jesus for 30 days to find out who He is. But you need to be reading and studying God's Word. There's plans about vision in uh, the Bible app and all these things. So if you're really uh, wanting to get into this more, then read that. But god's word number three god does his greatest work through ordinary people we're all ordinary people but god will make you extraordinary if you'll follow him Every person in Scripture, except for Jesus, started their life the same way that you and I did, just as an ordinary person, and they grew up, and God had a vision for their life. Talk about like uh, Gideon, uh, an angel shows up to Gideon and calls him a great man of valor, and he's like, I'm the weakest brother in my clan, right? And God says, no, I have a purpose and a vision for your life. He thought he was ordinary. God said, no, you're extraordinary, and listen to me, God says the same thing about you. Nobody on that either. Man, it's a tough crowd today. <laughs> God says you are extraordinary. That's why he sent his son to die for you, so that you can have this vision in your life to live for him and do something amazing for him. You want to know if you're living the vision God has for you, then how many people are you telling about God? How are you using these gifts and skill sets that God has given for you. You need to see that in this passage, the, the great thing that Stephen did had nothing to do with the sermon. It had to do with how he lived his life. He had character. And that's what people noticed about him. Not that he could preach. They didn't even qualify that. They said, hey, you need to serve bread because you got character. And then we get to see this amazing sermon. Same thing could be true for your life. It's how are you living that people notice. How often are you showing God's love for people? You want the same vision that God has? Well, God cares about the lost. Luke 14, 23 says, and the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Take a look around. God's house isn't filled yet. Uh, sh- certainly the chairs are almost full, but we got bleachers and we got bleachers. We'll take down the curtains. We'll fill this house up if that's what God wants for his people. Amen. Yes, because we're going to compel people, as the scripture tells us. Let's talk about the love of God, the love that Jesus had for them, that he would die for them so that their sins could be forgiven, that they can be made new because of the power of Jesus Christ. You want God's vision for your life? Seek and save the lost. Get on mission in your neighborhood or school or your workplace. Don't ever think, I'm just, I'm just ordinary. No, 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 no. No, God makes you extraordinary if you're willing to follow him. Do what he's tasked you to do. Start serving, getting in scripture, understanding that God has a plan for your life, figuring out how you can use your passions and skill sets for God's glory. That's the vision that God has for your life. Here's the last one. Sometimes God's will for us is martyrdom. Martyrdom It's a big word. It means you might lose your life. Now, it doesn't mean that God will necessarily kill you, but it might cost you something else. It might cost you your job or your friends or your family. And what you need to hear me say is that the sermons you preach from your place of pain are far louder than the ones that you preach from your place of blessing. Come on, somebody. People are looking at how you handle life's difficult circumstances. Everybody wants blessing. Of course, they'll listen to something like that, but they want to see something different in you when you're going through pain. There's an amplification that God can give your testimony in the midst of how you handle your struggle. And I know that some of you right now, you're in a struggle. And I get it. Mother's Day for Laura and I, we remember three years ago putting our son in the hospital with E. coli. You know, I, I understand pain. We lost a child, a son. I know what pain is and is like, but I also know that God's vision for my life is way bigger than any of those things. The same thing is true for you. Stephen is being pummeled with rocks. Check this out, verse 55. Full of the Holy Spirit, he gazes into heaven and sees the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Circle, star, underline, highlight, standing at the right hand of God. Why is that significant? Because every other place in Scripture, when you uh, read about Jesus being at the right hand of God, he's sitting because his task is accomplished he did what he set out to do and he sits down and says it's finished but every now and then you're going to go through something in your life and it's going to hurt it's going to be painful and jesus is going to stand up and he's going to look down on you he says i know what you're going through and it caused me to get up off of my throne and look down and say don't worry i can going to help you through this. Jesus is like a coach. You know, I mean, we got tons of coaches in here. Do you sit down a little bit and you see your player and something happens and you stand up and you, you, you yell at the referee, right? Or you sit down and you see something happening to your player and it's not right and you stand up and you yell at your player and you motivate them. And that's what Jesus is saying right here. He stands up on your behalf and says, no, 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 no. I'm with you. I got this. I'm on a throne. Yet I see what you're going through. And I want to do something about it. That's the God that we serve. Just because God is silent doesn't mean he's absent. He might be looking down on you. Standing in his throne. Saying, I got this. Just trust me. Just follow me. Just keep doing what you're doing. I'll work through it. I says I'll do. I work all things together for good that for those that love me and called according to my purpose. So yeah, your life it might end in martyrdom, but that's not the end of your story. Your story will live on forever through the legacy that you leave and the people around you your friends, your family, your circle of influence. Now remember the things that you did for God's glory. Far more than the things that you left them. Future stuff of junkyards and garage sales. Are you leaving a legacy because of the vision that you have for your life? Think about that today. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thanks for being here with us right now. I love the vision of Jesus standing up on our behalf. I just believe that for somebody right now, Jesus wants you to know that he's standing for you. He's ready to help you. With arms open wide and stretched out, he just wants you to come to him. Lay your burdens down at his feet. Jesus, thank you for that. Thank you for living a life that we couldn't live, dying a death that was meant for us so that we could be made new. God, I'm just trusting you right now to send your Holy Spirit in a powerful way to lead and direct people, to really analyze your life and say, is the vision that I'm chasing after worth chasing after? Could I give my life for this? Can I trust you with my whole life? and Lead well, my family, my friends, my school. God, speak right now. Show them what they can do to help change the world around them all for your glory. We love you, thank you, and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.